and we're doing some very heavy processing on this end so <laughs> without those filters <laughs> to make you sound better yeah it does. I, you have uh what's it called what's the, what are the singers use something tune auto-tune uh, auto-tune yeah yeah we're uh, we've considered <laughs> that we're gonna auto-tune you i think afterwards <laughs> without your knowledge we're also gonna put the barry white filter on your voice so giant robot smashing into other giant robots hello everybody and welcome to the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast it is friday march 29th my name is ben orenstein and i'm here today with scott orn how's it going scott hey ben how you doing i'm great so could you give me sort of a quick biographical sketch about yourself yeah so um i you know i graduated business school in god was it 2007 and came back out. I had lived in California my whole life. Uh, grew up in the East Bay. Went to Cal. Did investment banking here for three years, and then went to my current venture fund uh, for three years before business school. Did business school at Kellogg in Chicago. Came back, rejoined my venture firm. Been doing that for five plus years now. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's kind of like you know who I live in San Francisco. I've got a wonderful girlfriend. I love the the I love walking along Chrissy Field, doing all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, and professionally, you know, I work at a venture capital fund, invest in IT companies. And then, of course, I have the side project, Ben's Friends, where I build patient support networks for people with rare diseases. And I, I do that at night. You know, you probably have a side project. It seems like everyone, uh, has a side project that mm-hmm. at least, you know, they get to work out the kinks and, and have a lot of fun with. And, and that's mine. Cool. So is, is that sort of where your, your passion lies? Yeah, I, I'm just kind of a passionate guy in general. Like, I get really fired up about things. You'll, you'll probably be able to tell yeah. the voice inflections. <laughs> uh, but I love working with startups, you know, and so I get to meet, you know, some of the coolest entrepreneurs and get, you know, the cool thing about working with startups is you see the companies grow, you see the entrepreneurs grow, and all of a sudden they're, everyone's kind of, uh, a little naive and a little wet behind the ears. And then three years later, they're kicking butt and they're like the most sophisticated business people you've ever met in your life, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's fun to watch people go through that transition. And, you know, I got to say on the Ben's friend stuff, I've actually very similar, you know, that's where I, like, I had no idea what I was doing when I started it. And Ben and I, we just, we just kind of got into it. And then five years later now, I actually know a ton about patient support and online health and things like that. And mm-hmm. so I'm actually kind of an expert in it. It's, huh. weird. it's, it's weird for me to say, actually. It's, fun. It's, it's funny for me to say. Yeah. So I've done some research on you, and so I'm familiar with what Ben's Friends is. But could you kind of summarize it for everybody that's listening? Yeah. So all we do is we build online support communities for people with rare diseases. And it, it all started when Ben had a rare kind of brain aneurysm in 2006 when we were at Kellogg together. And he, his girlfriend got him to the emergency room, had surgery. He survived. And, and 50% of the people who have what he has, which is called an AVM, die. So he's super lucky to be alive. And so when he was recovering, he couldn't find anyone else in the world who had what he had. Because it's rare. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he he went to try to find support groups. There's just nothing out there. And so eventually he got so frustrated that he just said, you know, to heck with it. I'm going to start my own support group online and people can find me. And so that's how Ben's friend started. He started AVM Survivors, which is our first site, mm-hmm. um, invited me. I started helping him and we, and we got this incredible reception right away. People started joining right away. And it turns out everyone had the same problem who had an AVM. Mm-hmm. And so then we're like, hey, if this works for AVMs, why don't we try a few more? So we started a couple more communities. And over the years, we've done more and more. So now we have 33 communities. They're each a discrete website. 
So, you know, a lot of people don't even know what this whole Ben's Friends thing is. They just know that they go to Living with TN or Chiari Support or AVM Survivors, whatever it is. That's their community. Mm-hmm. And it's really awesome because people get to take a sense of ownership. And so what, what the other kind of thing that happened early on was that people love the site so much. They start spreading the word. They go to Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and, and tell their friends about it. And so they grew really quickly. But also people started volunteering to moderate the communities. Right. It's kind of like a little Wikipedia. Think about Wikipedia in your head. You know how yeah. like... Or Stack know, Overflow. Has sort of Stack the same. Overflow is a great example. Yeah. yeah. I love those guys. I actually read their blogs. Those, those guys are so smart. Mm-hmm. But you know, a small group of people can build a, an incredible online resource. And that's what the moderators do for the Ben's Friends Network. So so we have 33 now. We're, we're just cruising along. We're, we've just submitted our papers to be a nonprofit. We're mm-hmm. completely crowdfunded. The the fine folks at Indiegogo have taken us under their wing actually and helped that we've done three crowdfunding. So we were we were early in the crowdfunding um in the space and, and that helped us pay the bills because initially Ben and I paid the bills ourselves, but it got so big we couldn't finance it personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the so people donate money. We've we've done it all. I mean, this is a good one thing I really like your your listeners to take away from this conversation is like I can do this too. Hmm. Because believe me, I had no idea how to do any of this stuff when I got involved. I just got into – just started building the community. And and it's it's a really comforting fact when you, when you build something substantial and then other people recognize what you've built and are willing to fund it for you. Sure. You know, and that's what the crowdfunding has done for us. It's, it's allowed us to grow. And we, we've done everything on $65,000 total – over five years. Wow. So you can make a real difference on very little money as long as you make some, you got to get lucky. You got to make some smart decisions and then you got to have the benefit of the community that the community has to help you out and build it. Yeah. I, I got to imagine that these, these, and I've seen some comments uh, on things like your uh, post on the Harvard Business Review of people, the sort of testimonials saying, you know, I was really freaked out and really scared and really alone. And then I found this community and it made such a huge difference in my lifestyle. And like, I know that for like these sort of like rareish, like long tail kind of things. Like I happened to randomly to get into like radio controlled helicopters for a couple months. Yeah. And like, there's this massive forum of like 10,000 people that are super into radio controlled helicopters. And like, I loved going through it and seeing what people are doing and all the mods and all this stuff. And like, that's just something like a, a simple little hobby. I imagine when, you know, if you have this disease and you feel so alone, like you, there's no one else that's doing this or having these same problems, finding these things, has just got to be wonderful. Yeah. Well, you nailed it. I mean, Ben, like, the, isn't the internet beautiful? It is. I mean, just the fact that this stuff is out there and mm-hmm. that's your reaction to the helicopter site is exactly the reaction we get on the patient networks. It's a little more, you know, obviously it's more, it's a, it's a bigger deal to people, Absolutely. their health. But, you know, like I get, this is no exaggeration. I get like 20 or 30 emails a day thanking me for these sites. Mm. It's, it's so like every, if I'm ever having a bad day, I just fire up my email, my Gmail, uh-huh. and I check out and I'm like, oh my gosh, this person thinks I'm a really nice person. Like, wow. That that message made my day. All the other worries I have melt away. It's a really – it's like the most emotionally gratifying thing and it's, it, it's, it's awesome. But it, it is exactly what you're talking about. Like there's a forum for everything out there on the internet and we just happen to be the people who are doing it for rare diseases. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you said you, you spent $65,000 over five years. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's with, you know, like tens of thousands of members across 33 ish sites. 
Yeah, we have about thirty thousand kind of signed up members. Yep. But our 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 uniques every month are like forty thousand. It's it's growing very nicely. And basically, one of the kind of funny things we found out early on doing Ben's friends is we had really good traffic numbers, but not that many registered members. And we we're like, what's going on? Mm. And it turned out we had a ton of lurkers. There would be people who would join the site and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I've been reading, I've been reading the site for six months, man. You know, mm-hmm. like you guys are the best. I and it's it's really cool because I think sometimes people are they don't know what to make of us because it's like who would who in their right mind would do this right like sink all this energy all this time all this effort into these sites so they and and candidly there's some online health companies that have kind of uh, dubious reputations mm. because they're trying to sell right. data or they're trying to push people into clinical trials or whatever it is to make money yep. because it, it, candidly it's very difficult to make money online in online health and, and especially in our little world and that's why the crowdfunding is so important for us because that's the only way we pay the bills but so it's actually kind of nice because people check us out they read they see that we're like normal human beings care about people and and there's this really positive tone on the sites yeah and so yeah i mean people are so at any given time we have far more you know visitors than we actually do have signed up members but but i like it that way i like the fact that people can take a test spin before they feel like they need to join who who would have thought that a vc could be actually be a good person (laughs) you are correct my friend you are correct so so everybody i've seen that uh, talks about these sites um says um talks about the the sense of community and how nice everyone is yeah. is there anything that you guys do like if you were to launch site number 34 is there are there things or processes that you put in place to make sure that kind of environment springs up or does that just always happen well it's a it's a little bit of both to be honest with you i mean we have a really defined process we can get a site up and running in an hour we have people who do that who volunteer and set sites up but typically we only start a site if Someone emails us. It's usually word of mouth. Like someone emails us or one of our friends we talk to um, is super passionate about that condition and really wants to facilitate. So we call it like a founding moderator. Mm -hmm. There has to be a founding moderator because it's starting one of these sites is kind of like starting a dance club, right? People only want to go in the dance club if there's a lot of people in that dance club, Right. right? And so it's really hard. Like I, I, it's so hard to get to 20 people. But as soon as you get to 20 people, then the next 20 are much easier. Next thing you know, you're up to 100, 1,000, you know. So the founding moderator has to be super dedicated and it has to be a patient person. And so that's, mm. that is the key. And, and, and then a bunch of us, the people involved with Ben's friends, including other moderators from other sites, join the site, promote it, welcome people. And so I think it's actually, you know, if I was to still it down, one thing that we do really well is we just greet every single person that joins the site. Hmm. And, and you can imagine, like say, so Ben, you, you went to the hospital and you get diagnosed with some rare condition. You have no idea what this is about. You go home, you Google, you find us, you sign up. And a lot of people say like, oh, I was diagnosed an hour ago or I was diagnosed last night, whatever it is when they sign up. Right. And then three people greet you and tell you it's not going to be so bad that there's people here who can help. There's a ton of information and we can talk to your wife if you want or, or your girlfriend or your mm. mother or whatever it is. I mean, that is an incredible feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so these processes do help, but it's, but anyone who's going to spend any time on these sites ha- almost has to be a good person by default because who else would spend their time helping other people, right? It's kind of like it, it's, it's their gift 
to other people who are in the same boat. And, and many people tell us, it's like, I wish a site was like this was available when I was diagnosed. And that's why I do this. This is why I love greeting people and helping people. Yeah. So, so what's next on the radar for this? Is it just sort of keep your eyes open and maybe launch more sites? Yeah, it's actually that simple. I mean, the cool thing that it's sad in the fact that there's about a thousand rare disease out there, you know, so, and we've got 33. So, I mean, yeah. there's a huge green field and I, it seems to me we're just keep kind of getting stronger. So, um, people, you know, the Harvard business review article was really nice because, um, a, I was able to kind of explain what we're doing, but actually, uh, a bunch of journalists contacted us after that and want to actually write articles on us. So right. like the only thing really limiting us is awareness. You know, people, there's no reason why there shouldn't be a hundred of these sites or 200 of these sites out there. Mm-hmm. And then of course, I think it'll also make fundraising, um, a little bit easier just because right now the people who give us, give us money are people who are our personal friends and then members of the sites. Mm-hmm. And so just the more people who know about us, you know, know our mission, know we're in this for the right reasons. I think that'll make, make it easier, but yeah, there's no like grand plans. I mean, we are going to release an iPhone app. It's actually going to be submitted in the, in the app store, hopefully this weekend mm-hmm. we're working on ebooks so this is this is kind of an interesting thing we about a year ago first of all everything with ben's friends moves slowly so that's another thing that your your readership your listenership should know uh-huh. like just get it going and do things when you can and don't stress out about that i mean we started this ebook a year ago we basically thought hey be, i bet you people want to tell their story so we we set up a little discussion and said submit your story in, in 48 hours, we had 250 responses and we had to shut it off. We just couldn't handle it. Mm. And so we've been editing and figuring out how to do ebooks. And so we're just about to release our first ebook, which is, which is going to be, um, the story of, you know, basically one page stories from all these patients who submitted their, their story. And then after we do that, we're going to do an ebook for every single condition. And so imagine, you know, your, you know, your loved one doesn't quite understand what it's like to be diagnosed with a condition. You can actually buy a 99 cent ebook and have them read this. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, having a third party kind of, cause you can explain to your loved one what it's like, but they don't really understand, but having a book to read about this, both the, the bad parts of it. So they know what to expect, but also the empathy and how to help, help you right. as a, as a patient could be really powerful. So we're going to do that, but it's just kind of, it, it's as simple as doing it one day at a time. And that that's what I, I, you know, you're the people out there who are listening, like there's got you, there has to be something you're passionate about and you could be like me where you just kind of stumble into it. And I mean, it was, it was a happy accident that I stumbled into this Ben's friends thing. Um, but when you, when you find that passion, do something about it and it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be a big idea. You don't have to take over the world. If you just help a few people, you're going to feel so good about yourself. You're going to get addicted to it and you're going to want to keep doing it. I mean, that's what happened to me. Yeah. And I imagine this has to be kind of a, a really nice contrast to sort of your day-to-day, fairly cutthroat world of startups and building companies and profit focus and all that. It definitely is. I mean, it really keeps me kind of grounded. But you know what it helps me do? It actually helps me relate to the entrepreneurs really well hmm. because what? I know what they're going through. I know I know that they may be having a temporary growth problem or maybe their community isn't formulating how they want it to. Or maybe they're having a really hard time fundraising because that's we have the same issues, sure. you know. So I mean, that's it does, and they and they a lot of people actually respect it. They love talking about it. They know, and, the, and like I said, you build relationships over years, so three or four years into working with someone, 
when I come to our update meetings, they're asking me, hey, what's up with Ben's friends? How's it going? Or we're all friends on Facebook or Twitter, you know, and mm-hmm. so they see the updates I send out. Mm. So, but hey, let me ask, let me ask you a few questions. I've, you, I've been answering a lot of questions. So, yeah, like, yeah. so reflecting on your life, like you talked about the helicopter form, mm-hmm. form, but like, what are you passionate about? Like, what do you? What's your side project? That's interesting. So, uh, the last year or two, it's been sort of I've gotten really involved in the Ruby community. So we're a Ruby on Rails shop, and um, we're fortunate enough that we can go give talks at conferences. And mm-hmm. so I just started applying all over the place. Um, and have been giving talks in sort of various countries and towns and cities all over the world, uh, and sort of stumbled onto realizing that like I love this teaching thing. Yeah, um, it's awesome. It's so when you, when you mentioned that email about you know, or when you mentioned getting emails of like someone saying, "Hey, this thing really helped me," um, I get occasional things like that, like, "Hey, I watched your talk from this thing, and like it was super awesome. I learned these three things, and now I'm going to start using Vim." And like, it's you're right. It's so motivating. It's so awesome. Uh, Have you had that uh, that moment where you're like sitting up on a panel and you're like looking out at the crowd and you're like I can't believe all these people are sitting here listening to me constantly. <laughs> it, it, there, it, it's a really bizarre shift um, because like in my head I I, I still think there's like, I still know there's so many things I don't know and I kind of uh, it's like almost every time I'm about to give a talk I have this doubt of like doesn't everyone already know this like isn't this stuff super obvious and like I'm just kind of dumb so it took me a while to get there. And, uh, or, or who am I to be able to tell these people what to do? Right. You know? Yeah. But you know, that's, it's such a, it's, it's all, it's like giving yourself permission, you know? And once you give yourself permission to do that, it's, it's incredibly freeing. I mean, you've already done that. Obviously you gave, you know, by applying to all these talks, you gave yourself permission to do this. And, but it's, it's super gratifying. It's, it's awesome that you like, what's the coolest note you've gotten or what's the coolest opportunity that opened up? Cause you spoke at a conference. One of my, my, I kind of judge. So I'm really into this text editor called Vim or, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite metrics for success is like total conversions. <laughs> so it's people that are like, you know, oh, I was always afraid to try this or I didn't know if I could do it. And that, but now I'm doing it and like, it's so good and I'm so much faster. And that's one of my favorite metrics. So there's actually a fair amount of people that like get sort of, it has sort of a, a, a reputation of having a really steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people tell me like, you know, I was too afraid to try it for a long time, but now I'm doing it and it's great. And like, that's, that's one of my favorite metrics. And they're like, I'm saving so much time. Yeah. I'm so much more predictive, productive. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I love, like, when you joined Thought, like, how, what brought you to ThoughtBot? Like, what, hmm. what made you join this group? The biggest thing was, um, I had an awesome job. Like, I really did. Like, it was, it was great and comfortable and a lot of great perks. But the thing that made me leave was, I didn't feel like I was getting any better. Mm-hmm. So I had mm-hmm. kind of reached, roughly parody with the strongest person on the team yeah and i was just like i could definitely stay here for 15 years and like i would never get fired and it would always be fine and cushy but like i'm really actually about learning and like was it like a startup or where were you at before uh, i was actually at a cancer institute Uh, oh no way oh so we have something in common yeah Yeah, yeah, so i was working on a team that would basically help groups inside this cancer hospital um and we would build them rails applications to take the place usually of like overburdened Excel spreadsheets. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And that was super gratifying because there are, I mean, I think there are basically an infinite number of custom software applications out there that could be developed for the world. Like there's so many groups in so many yeah. companies using basically Excel or something like it to manage a fairly complex process that with a little bit of code and a little bit of custom software, like their lives get so much better. 
I just had that like email conversation three minutes before I joined this this podcast about managing stock options. And two of my friends run companies, and they're like, "How do people manage stock options?" And I was like, "I've only seen it done in Excel." Right. You know, someone needs. If you're out there listening, build some really simple but good and secure software to manage stock options, and you'll get a bunch of customers. Mm. You know, it's like that. It's a great example of what you're talking about. Now, when you was was thought because here's what I think is cool about Thoughtbot. So I know Chad, I know Dan. Mm-hmm. I think. I think what is cool is the fact that they give back so much to the community. It's and it's it's the same exact principle that Ben's friends is all about, right? Like the more you give back, actually, the more you get, the faster things grow. I mean, did you t- did you take that into consideration, or is that how you knew these guys in the first place? I I I forget how I initially stumbled on Thoughtbot, but my first relationship there was with Dan Croak. Yeah, um, yeah. he's sort of the Thoughtbot ambassador. I think he knows everybody, and everyone knows him, um, and. I met him at a Boston Ruby group meeting and then we did a rails rumble together, which is like a 48 hour build an app as fast as you can contest. And so we spent a weekend together writing code and, and hanging like out sitting next to each other, like smelling each other's body odor and yep. drinking each other's coffee. And, and we took like a, you know, a reasonable <laughs> pace. We went home and slept and like had food uh, and things like that. Uh, um, but it was a lot of fun. And, and so he would sort of ping me every like nine months or so. And be like, hey, you still happy where, where you are and what you're doing? And for the longest time, I was like, yeah, yeah. And then eventually, I was like, no, nah, not really. Yeah. And so yeah. It, it finally worked. It was sort of like the long sell, which I think is, is how a lot of these things happen. That's the more effective sell because you actually get to know someone. Absolutely. And you know their value. And, and you get to see like – because I think – I think what's really interesting, and I've talked to Dan about this a couple of times. First of all, for those who don't know, Dan is like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. It, he's so, so I knew Chad a little bit. And then one of my buddies on the East Coast, Healy Jones, he's an entrepreneur, XVC, connected me to Dan when Dan was coming out to San Francisco because ThoughtBot was basically colonizing San Francisco, right? <laughs> and so I had, I had lunch with Dan and he's like this, super nice guy but he's like all he's he's an engineer he's like mr engineer so you can like kind of feel him analyzing what you're saying and analyzing you in that first conversation yeah and then then he like we both relax and then it's like a you know the normal give and take so i can visualize you guys like sitting there coding together mm-hmm. and like you just meeting each other yeah. but i think i think what thoughtbot does is really cool is they're basically because they, you ha, you guys have this whole training program where it's like someone is interested in becoming an iPhone developer or a Ruby developer or a Rails developer, excuse me, whatever it is. You guys will actually train them and put them through boot camps and stuff like that. Yep. And I kind of view it as like growing, growing developers Absolutely. instead of like because most companies, all the companies I deal with, they're typically trying to kind of poach developers right mm-hmm. like good talent they find good talent and they try to like get them to their side instead of actually putting in putting in the energy and the time to actually grow people really well and i think that's really great because if you're a beginning developer you don't have a ton of resources it's it, like no one's going to hold your hand yep except for you guys you guys do that a little bit which is awesome yeah uh, so that uh, that kind of goes back to that model goes back to what you mentioned a couple minutes ago which is that we give back a lot. And so like so Jonathan Colton is this sort of independent singer-songwriter and he had a mm-hmm. blog post about so he releases all his music under Creative Commons and people will like mix it into YouTube videos or like do covers of it and all this. And people have asked him like how come you don't have tighter controls on your music? And he says, "I think of the music industry as this giant cow and it eats music, <laughs> it eats music and it poops money." <laughs> and like I don't know exactly what happens in between, but this uh... system just kind of works. 
Yeah. And so I feel like our approach to like the, the Ruby world is kind of similar, which is like the Ruby community like eats knowledge and teaching and learning and poops consulting work. Yep. Yep. And yep. it like has basically just kind of worked for, I guess, nine years or so. Um, and so I, I think this basic hypothesis is is fairly proven. And, that, and this is the same thing about the, the apprentices, which is, you know, we, we built the cow. We're like, okay, we need something that eats, you know, good you know, programmers that have promise but not a lot of experience and results in, you know, Ruby programmers that we think we can hire as, as or other people will want to hire. Well, to take that analogy one step further, too, I think... You know, musicians have realized that the money in their business is in the live performance. Mm. It's actually delivering something special and building something and building, you know, a positive experience for people instead of like trying to monetize all their music on records or discs or whatever. And I think, I think that's the smart thing you guys have done too because you guys release a ton of free. I mean, this podcast is a free service to the developer community, right? And so there's all this stuff out there and it's kind of like enough to get a taste. But then when you actually either want to participate and be a developer, work for the company, or you're a client. I mean, if you're a client, you know, I mean, the reason why I found Chad and Dan in the first place is because I wanted to build something myself. Mm. And one of my friends, Healy, and my other buddy, Alex Bain, referred me to you guys. So it's that it's it's kind of that's the live performance aspect of, of being a consulting shop and building stuff for people. It's like you get that referral. You get that strong word of mouth. The same thing that gets people to concerts. And it's like free conversion. It's it's yeah. it's that's that's where the the I guess the uh, food turns into poop or money, uh, right? Or whatever. And, and I think that's where like almost all that our business comes from is inbound people that have been referred to us. Like they know yeah. about us already. Yeah. It's not us cold calling businesses or anything like that. But the but the cold calling ish happens through the things that we release and we put out there yeah, and, and yeah. build the the brand and the reputation. Yeah, but that's such a more positive experience than cold calling. Like, have oh, you sure. ever cold called someone? Yes. I mean, it's not very it's much awful. fun. Uh, yeah, you know. So this is cool because you get to create, you get to make your your art, and then people find you through it. That's awesome. Yeah, and and honestly, it's a great um, recruiting and retention tool to talk about it in sort of the the most businessy terms possible. So it's like we we spend a, one day of our week on we call it investment time, and so that covers you know open source work or writing blog posts or researching new technologies and all. It's sort of this like wide net of like just do something that might be interesting to the company one day or you know hot, is hopefully beneficial um and as a developer that's a lot of fun it's like yeah. you know you get this like yeah. playground day and like you can f- meet up with your friends and work on stuff and it's it's awesome it's the creative spark now let me ask you this how long until you come out to san francisco like do you you do know it's like 70 degrees and my bald head <laughs> is getting sunburned outside right like how how does this how does this happen um, that's a good question. You know, I, I felt the siren call of San Francisco a few years ago. Uh, I went to one of the early conferences that I was attending um, was uh, GitHub's CodeConf, the first time they ran it, um, and it was really tempting. It's it it's it, I mean it's like it's the mecca for programming, basically, right? Um, I have I have family here. I have a lot of ties here, so I've never quite gotten away from it. But I I do feel the pull. I I think it's actually the situation is ideal for me now, which is we have an office in San Francisco. Yeah. So it's like yeah. oh I'll come out for a couple of weeks and visit and you know get the get the flavor. But I don't have to commit. It's always because we have a Boston office at Lighthouse too, and it's always like oh my gosh, I feel so bad what you guys are going through right now. Like it, didn't it snow this week or last week or something? Sure. Like yeah. That? Of course. Oh, it did. God. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, you, you get soft when you live in a warm climate. <laughs> I, think, I am as soft as it comes, my friend. Yeah, so soft. I think the 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 hardship and trials of a, of four seasons <laughs> makes a man tougher. 
Uh, I love it. You might I still have it. hair if you lived out here. Yeah, I know. I need it. I would definitely need it. <laughs> your body would so, know not to let it go. So now on your on the text editing stuff, because that was kind of your passion. I mean, are you? Is that an open source product or like how do it you is. contribute to that? So you so do you actually do code at night and like improve it or what do you do? Uh, I don't. I don't work on the editor itself. Um, I just use it passionately. It's it's one of those things that's big enough that like you keep learning it for years and years. Like I've been yeah. I've been using it for like eight or nine years now, and still I'm constantly learning things. Like even yesterday, um, so I just sort of recycle some of the stuff I've learned and tell other people who've been using it. And they're like, oh my god, I wish I'd known about this a, a while ago. <laughs> it's just one of those things that's so like deep and wide that there's just too much to learn, and so I, I just sort of try to pass some of that knowledge on. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you, you you mentioned that you work for uh, Lighthouse, Lighthouse Capital Partners. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. your day job is uh, venture capital. It's a venture capital firm. We actually have kind of – well, first of all, I have to say uh, we're registered investment advisors. So I can't – you know, this is in no way a solicitation or anything like that. Okay. We have to be care- – we have to make sure the SEC is happy with us and doesn't uh, – doesn't get mad at us, but but basically, yeah, we we go out and we have we have kind of a different business model in that we loan money to startups and then take some equity in the company as well. So like your your typical hot to trot startup raises a Series A and might sell you know twenty to forty percent of their other company in a Series A, and then we'll come in on top of that and give them a couple extra million bucks, and what basically allows them to, uh, you know. Everyone knows that you raise money off of milestones, so it gives them some extra runway to hit the important milestones, and then they can go out raise a big Series B, and everyone's happy. You know, they raise more money. The entrepreneurs suffered less dilution. The VCs are happy because their pro rata is lower and their valuation is higher. So it's a really good instrument. It's kind of a follower type of instrument. So like, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm never going to be on the cor- the cover of Fortune magazine or something like that as like the biggest hitter in Silicon Valley. Yeah. But I really love my job. The people I work, the lighthouse people are just awesome. And and we're really good at it. It's really fun to be good at something. You know, that's kind of the other thing with cool with Ben's friend is like and and similar with you with like with your the texting thing is like you get to the point where you actually know what you're doing, you're good at your job. It's really kind of a fun place to be in life, you know. It permeates every other, everything else. Uh, you know your relationships, your friendships, all that kind of stuff. Cool. Um, so why why do you say that you guys are good at what you do? Uh, you know we're just really solid um, partners. You know when things go wrong, um, you know we we tend to restructure, we tend to facilitate helping the company kind of get through a tough point. Whereas not everyone does that. Mm. You know, and and it, that's kind of like one of these intangible things that people t- you know. People talk about it. I talk about it. But people in the venture business in the startup world know our reputation. They've seen it many times. You think about your typical entrepreneur. They've done it before. Mm-hmm. Most people are serial entrepreneurs. Like Once you get into this, it's, it's so exciting. It's so fun. They can't walk away after being successful the first time. So a lot of the people we work with are people who I backed five years ago, had an exit, and now are back. Right. You know? it's the, and so the, the, it's that. The slow sell, the Dan Croak model. <laughs> exactly, yeah. but they keep coming back. And then I think the other thing is we have a different capital base where we we go out to big institutions like um, endowments, foundations, pension funds, and so we don't um, 
we're not limited by regulators or things like that. So we so we have a venture capital fund structure. Uh-huh. So it's like as as flexible invest uh, debt instrument as you could possibly have because our capital base is really flexible. Hmm. So so are you guys distinct? You, you guys aren't actually purchasing part of the company. You're making a loan to those companies. We're making a loan, but we do end up with warrants in the company, which are just like stock options, basically. Mm-hmm. So employees get stock options, outside investors get warrants, and so we end up owning a you know a little bit of the company enough to make it really awesome when a company goes public okay and is that the primary way you make money or is it more on the loan repayment plus interest it's about it's about 50 50 actually i mean in a really hot market we'll do you know we'll have an ipo and and make a ton of money on that but but the steady eddy people like to invest in us because of this interest coupon it's kind of like low beta venture capital Mm -hmm. if you think about it from beta being risk exactly well said yeah so like an institution um you know, like in two thousand, like ninety nine, two thousand, a lot of big pension funds came into venture capital as an asset class, and that was the absolute worst time to come into it, right? Mm. And so they got like just absolutely killed. They lost almost all their money, and so a lot of them have this kind of, oh my gosh, I don't want to invest in venture because it's too risky. Mm. Um, so they see us as a as a way to get venture capital exposure without having their you know a lot of capital at risk. Mm. And, and it sounds like you guys have a way of making getting returns without a company necessarily being a home run. Exactly. We, we make interest along the way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so do you guys, how do you evaluate a, a potential investment then? What are you looking for? You know, we, we're basically looking for what everyone else looks for is that, you know, a really strong manager team market opportunity, um, Something that's going to change the world. We want we want there to be a lot of upside in the company, mm-hmm. um, but we so we look and, and fundamentally like we we just know to get our money back the company needs to raise another round. So we're also judging that whether it's this exciting enough idea or whether the entrepreneur has enough juice to be able to raise another round. Because once they do that, we're fine. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for the same thing that pretty much all venture capital investors are looking for. Hmm. So how do you feel about uh, the freemium model? I love the freemium model. I'm trying. Let me think about who I have in my portfolio. I don't know. I don't even know if I've invested in anything super freemium, but I totally get it. I'm a customer of a ton of online services that use freemium. Are you a customer you know, like, or are you a freeloader? I'm a, I'm a little bit of both, yeah. depending on. So some I'll pay for Evernote every once in a while. Mm-hmm. What else do I, I I pay for Dropbox every once in a while, depending on what I have in my folders. You know, mm-hmm. what other stuff do I? I know I pay for. Others, I'm, I'm blanking right now, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I told it's it's a really um, efficient way to open your sales funnel. Mm-hmm. So like, you get a ton of people trying something. I mean, Skype's a great example, right? Like a ton of people try Skype across the world, but you know, one or two percent of the people actually pay Skype money, and that and that's more than enough. I mean, the thing like, and I I see this with the companies I work with, and also Ben's friends. Like these, the, the beautiful thing about the internet and all these internet services is that they're global services. So you've got like an addressable market of a couple billion people, you know? Mm-hmm. So you do not need huge numbers of people paying you cash money to be very successful and kick butt. Mm-hmm. You know, you just need enough to keep the, you know, 1% of of your user base is usually enough to to, you know, assuming it's priced appropriately. Plus, you know, I love, you know, there's uh, there's other models like ad models or you you know kind of do a little bit of both like Spotify, you're listening to I'm a free Spotify user cuz I like songs that a lot, but I'll listen to Spotify every once in a while and I'll listen to ads 
on Spotify. I mean, so they're not getting me, you know, hit, they're not hitting my credit card every month, but they're, but they're making money on the ads, you know? So, so I, I think it's a, I think it's a really smart model for startups because especially when you're starting out, cause you, what you really need is a big user base that over, you know, if it's internet, I'm speaking of internet companies here, but like what you, people know, if you get a big user base, they're going to be able to monetize it somehow. And so maybe, yeah, well, I I'm pretty firm believer that you can usually find some way of monetizing if you have a real active, you know, Ben's friends is a good example of not being able to monetize it, right? Yeah. Like we have to go to crowdfunding, but I knew that going in. I mean, Ben's friends. The reason why something like Ben's friends didn't exist is because it wasn't profitable to do. Like there there are plenty of diabetes support sites. Or breast cancer support sites, big mega diseases that are really good at raising money. I mean, those ecosystems have a ton of cash flowing through it. It's very profitable to have an online community in those conditions. It's the long tail, fragmented stuff that Ben's friends does, but we're okay with that. Like, we know we're not going to make money. We've never made any money. None of us have ever paid ourselves anything. Like, mm-hmm. we're in this to do it the right way. But so, so yeah, you're you're right. Like most of the time. I, I shouldn't say always going to be able to monetize, but like if, if you have a big, if you have millions and millions of users, you should be able to make money somehow. Hmm. Do you think you got, you think uh, you guys and maybe you even in particular have a sort of a special knack at picking these companies that are going to do well? Or do you think you're just sort of, <laughs> this is sort of a loaded question. Do you think you're maybe doing well because <laughs> a lot of people are doing well because the market is strong and, and the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing? Yeah. No, that's a good that's a good um, observation. I mean, first of all, you wouldn't get out of bed if you didn't every morning if you didn't think you knew what you were doing, sure, right? So, like, right. of course, I think I know what I'm doing, but I do make mistakes. We all make mistakes, and candidly, like, investing in startups is not for you don't you don't want to be someone who thinks they know the answer all the time because you can there is. There is no way to know what these companies are really going to do. Mm-hmm. And, you, and the way to prove that is you see companies pivoting constantly, pivoting into something actually really good. And so like there's no way anyone could have anticipated that. you know. But you do know that the management team are good people, mm-hmm. that they're really smart, that they're really creative, they're really resourceful. And that's where that you know the pivot comes in. It's like, well, our, our initial thing isn't working, so what the heck are we going to do? Well, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you are investing in, I mean, the rising tide does help right now because, as I said, there's a, a couple billion people out there coming online. But with, with the smartphones, there's probably another billion who are going to join the ecosystem in the next five years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many that it's a really fun time to be investing in internet companies, app companies, because the addressable market is exploding. And what you can do with this new hardware is so amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you and I can have do this uh, a podcast like this across the country is just like one tiny example of the improvements in communication, the improvements in technology. So, so it is a really fun time to be investing. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of both. Like you, I, I think what makes you really successful in the startup world is building really good relationships with people and being a good partner mm. because it's it's very similar to Thoughtbots business. A good an entrepreneur who's good um, and who I who likes working with me will refer me to five other good entrepreneurs because the good entrepreneurs hang out together, mm-hmm. right? It's the guys who don't know what they're doing who are in their you know isolated, not figuring, not, you know, reaching out to people who are, those are the people you don't want to back. So 
word of mouth referrals are really important for me. Mm. And so, you know, it's a little bit of both. But, but you know, the fact is, this is a little bit of the golden age for internet companies, I think, and app companies and, and the, whole, the whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, if I could snap my fingers and give you 5% of, let's say, your top three favorite companies, who would you take? Well, I can't really talk about my portfolio per se. Just right, no, I'm saying stuff. Oh, yeah, people you don't you oh, don't own anything in. What companies I love the most? Oh my gosh, I mean, there's so many of them. In terms of future potential, I mean, I gotta say, I am getting more addicted to Twitter every day. Mm. And Twitter is like a late stage company. It's got like a ten billion dollar market, you know, valuation. And like the time to invest in Twitter was probably. Three, two, three years ago, but like I still think people are investing in a ten billion valuation are probably going to make money on it because it is so darn addictive. So mm-hmm. I, I love Twitter so much. And let me think. What, what is me, your, what is your Twitter handle by the way? Oh, it's uh, Scott Orn, one word: S E O T T O R N. All right. Um, so that's that's one of them. Let me give me one second here to think about. You know what company I I actually really like that I haven't in, invested in. No conflict. It's actually the guy who introduced Chad and I together. My buddy Healy Jones. He works at a company called Boundless. He's the chief marketing officer now. Mm-hmm. And what Boundless basically does is they they um, they're doing e um, e textbooks. They basically pay PhDs to go out there and write a textbook. And it's way cheaper hmm. to do than what the big textbook companies do. And then they, they price it so much cheaper. Because, like, I don't know. I was in school five years ago. So, like, I was paying 100 150 bucks a textbook, Easily. which is totally ridiculous. Easily. And so, Boundless is doing something really interesting. You actually know it's interesting because the old school publishing companies have tried suing them. Right. So, Here's- whenever a startup is getting sued, that's usually a really good sign Absolutely. That, they're do- that they're doing something interesting. Because that's kind of the last line of defense for an old school dinosaur. Mm. They can't beat them in the marketplace, so they're going to try to sue them and slow them down. Yep. So I think that's that's another company. And then let's see, what's it like an early stage company I've seen lately that's doing some really cool stuff. Um, there's a ton of really interesting stuff happening in SaaS based businesses. There's a couple of companies I've lost that are doing some really neat kind of performance management optimization stuff that like your audience probably will really like. You know, basically. Um, telling them when there's errors, telling them when there's breakdowns in the application, telling them security stuff. So like there's basically there was this whole world of like IBM, HP, all these old school software companies had this type of uh, uh, software. Um, but it was it's all you know client server, it's all big ticket software, million dollar you know a pop, and then you got to do implementations. Meanwhile, these little SaaS companies have popped up, and they're starting to do some serious revenue now. Mm-hmm. And it's it, so it's it so that whole world, it's it's this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's pretty much safe to say that every single big software. Uh, company is going to get replaced by a SaaS version of whatever they're doing, hmm. and I, th- I think I think HP and IBM are are aware of this now, and so they're going to start doing a lot more acquisitions because they're just they're going to basically have to buy all these SaaS companies that are coming up. But like when you look at like Salesforce, NetSuite, those guys are on the forefront of this. But there's a bunch of late stage SaaS companies out there in the venture ecosystem that are doing really well, and are they're going to be billion dollar IPOs. You're gonna you're gonna look probably six months from now. You're gonna look up six months from now and be like, I can't believe these SaaS companies are going out a billion dollar IPO. But that's because strategically, the big guys are are probably gonna have to acquire them. Hmm. Cool. Um, I think that basically wraps it up for me, Scott. 
Cool, man. Yeah. No, this has been this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, and, likewise. It's been and fun. And thanks. Yeah, thanks to Chad and Dan for uh, putting us in, in contact. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to get in touch with you, we, we we mentioned your Twitter handle. Is there another way that you like to get contacted? Uh, no, Twitter's great. You can, um, you know, I, I check my Twitter. Like I said, I'm addicted to it now. Okay. So I check it all the time. So people can just contact me there. Um, and you can always, my email address is in, in my Twitter hand, you know, on my Twitter page. You can, you can send me an email there. And then I, you know, the one thing I love to leave you with is just, you know, if there's someone uh, for the listeners out there, if they, if they're connected to someone with a rare condition, feel free to email us info at bensfriends.org and tell us about it. And if you want to be a volunteer moderator or know someone who does, let us know. I mean, that's what we look for, for starting new conditions. So, you know, there's no, we always say like, you don't have to be alone anymore. There's no reason to be alone Mm. if you're suffering from something like this and so um, you know check us out and, and spread the word awesome sounds good uh, so if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts slash 43 uh, today's podcast was recorded and produced by Chad Pytel and edited by Edward Lovell thanks for listening thanks Scott thanks Ben thanks Ben